Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining with us for this week's teaching. As we begin, I just want to take a moment to let you know a few ways that you can connect with our community beyond this podcast. First of all, I want to invite you to visit southviewchurch.com viewpoint. There you'll find a collection of different resources and upcoming events and ministries to help draw us into the life of our community, both on-site and online. And towards that end, if you are new to our digital space here, we would love to connect with you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so we can support and join you in prayer. And let me be clear, that prayer request form isn't just if you're new. Whoever you are, we would love to support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram and YouTube where we share additional fragments from our weekly teachings, art from our community, midweek prayers, community updates, that sort of thing. Now, I know, I know that's a lot of different options, but the bottom line is we just want to use the tools at our fingertips to create connections with one another, regardless of where or how we are gathered. And above all, may your hearts be open and expectant, because wherever you are and however you're listening, God is here, and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we are currently carrying into his presence. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. And as we come to today's teaching, join me in praying these words from Psalm 24, the Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up their soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. They will receive blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of their salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. I'm glad that we get to be together as we continue in our series called Seeing Jesus. I pray that the Holy Spirit helps each of us to see Jesus, not only in the Old Testament that we're going to be looking at today, but also in our own lives. Last week, we got to hear from Clyde highlighting the beginning stages of Genesis and the story of Abraham. And now we're looking at his great-great-great-grandson, Joseph, at the last chapter, chapter 50, verses 15 to 21. Now, if you're like my mother-in-law, you love reading the last chapter of any book because you need to know how it ends. That way, any confusion or suspense is settled and your curiosity is sparked to spur you on to find out how the rest of the story unfolds right from the beginning. 
So we're all going to listen in to my mother-in-law and read that last chapter. Then we're going to pull back and look at the full story so that we can figure out who these characters are, understand the family tension, and why Joseph responds the way he does. Plus, I want each of us to be looking for Jesus in this passage. Since our our series is called Seeing Jesus, I'm confident each of us are going to see him in new ways that others don't. And I would love it if we could learn from each other and share how we see Jesus. So today we're going to try something new. We are going to have you be the text messaging crowd participation kind of people. Okay, this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to be ones who are looking at that screen, putting into your phone the phone number that you end up seeing. And now you can anonymously text in how you're seeing Jesus in the story of Joseph. I want you to share a short comment and send that in. I want you to share a scripture that links Genesis to Jesus. Or I want you to share a comparison of Joseph and Jesus. One of those three things, okay? Because now we get to learn from one another. And I want you to do this while I'm preaching. And for those of you who are watching online, I also want you to participate so that those that see this live on the weekend, uh, they get to see your responses on the screen later on in the service. And those of you who are on our YouTube live today, and just start commenting in the chat so that you can have a great conversation there about how you're seeing Jesus. Because I think it'll be fun learning from each other in a fresh new way today. All right, so now Joseph's story, right? He reminds us of when life has been really kind of unfair or when you've had to had some painful experiences in your life or just overall seasons that you've had to endure or seasons of feeling lonely or abandoned by God. But then as time passes, you are able to see God at work just the whole time. And today I hope that you see God being at work in Joseph's life, leading and refining him like he is leading and shaping our lives reshaping our attitude and our actions towards each other so that when challenging times come, we can respond like Joseph does with a forgiving heart by saying like he does to his brothers in verse uh, 20 by saying, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And so with that, let's turn to our main passage today in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 21. And we will read the text here. You can follow along on screen or just in your Bible. And remember, this is the word of God. So when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that he did to him. So they went, or sorry, they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave his command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that, my, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Amen. Well, let's do a little recap here and find out how Joseph and his brothers got here. We're going to have to go back about 13 chapters to chapter 37. Then we're going to make our way back to chapter 50. So skim along with me through 37, okay? Because it's where we find young Joseph. He's kind of prancing around like a little royal prince in his expensive coat of many colors, which in that ancient day, in that ancient culture, identified Joseph really as daddy's favorite. And due to the length of his robe, it meant that Joseph didn't have to work. And since Joseph was Jacob's favorite son out of those 12 brothers, that meant Joseph would probably get twice the inheritance. Now, none of that went over well with his brothers because, for one, they didn't like favoritism and they didn't want him getting twice the inheritance once dad dies because the oldest brother is to get that because he's the most responsible and it's his job to care for the family once he's gone. Plus, the younger brother, he needs to learn how to work. He needs to shed that attitude. He needs to prove himself as a sheep herder like the rest of them had to. Then to heap on more frustration, right, Joseph, he pridefully shares two dreams, which in their day, those were like truth-telling visions of the future that depicted Joseph ruling over them and his brothers because they were now bowing down before him. Once all that happened, those brothers had enough. They really just, they snapped. Man, that, that coat, that money, now power, it was just too much for them. It just fueled this anger and sinful thoughts that initiated an evil plan to kill Joseph. That's what happened. All this buildup of unresolved hatred and pain without a release valve of forgiveness had really hardened their heart and had darkened their mind and led them to think that this act of aggressive uh, behavior, sinfulness was going to happen and just, it was going to happen, but in such a regrettable way. It's too bad. Now in high school, you know, my family was at this real tipping point because of the abuse and the mistrust that had happened just really for decades. And as a teenager, I, I remember uh, just being told of a certain event that had happened in my family and I was immediately engulfed with hatred and anger. I just was, it really, it just enraged me. And it, it caused me to have just fits of rage. It caused blackouts. It caused me punching walls and putting holes in things. And I ended up having quite a few fights as well. And I remember telling my guidance counselor of the darkness and the anger that was just consuming me at that time. And I was telling them that all I wanted to do was just rip that person just limb from limb. That's what I wanted to do. But don't fear. I'm feeling much better now 
So that's good. I'm so thankful for a counselor leading me through the pain and to forgiveness. But unfortunately, these brothers, they didn't have a guidance counselor like I did. Right? They were stuck in this anger and this rage, and they were unwilling to forgive. And once they saw their brother coming from a long way off, man, they put together an evil plan to kill him. And then they were just going to lie to their father about some animal coming along and just devouring him, just killing him. But thankfully, one brother, he had a godly conscience and convinced them to toss him into a pit instead of killing him. And unfortunately, this idea just became a nice holding cell for the rest of the brothers to keep them until the slave traders came so they could sell them for 20 pieces of silver. Now, in chapter 39, Joseph is resold to a high-ranking officer in Egypt. Okay, this is where he has to really lie down his pride, that royal attitude, and choose to prove himself by working hard. He discovers his God-given gifts, and he learns his new skills and abilities. And in verse 4, it tells us that Joseph <clears throat> applied himself so well that his slave owner, Potiphar, just put him in charge of everything. It says in verse 4, here it says, uh, So Joseph found himself, not true, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Which tells us, well, it tells us a lot. Tells us that he had to learn to organize and manage crop rotation. He had to handle money, equip and delegate that to others. He had uh, to... Uh, uh, excuse me, he had to delegate slaves to run different areas of his large agricultural outfit. There was lots that he was learning. He had become a highly skilled and profitable servant to Potiphar in those late teenage to young adult years. And then Joseph, man, he was very pleased with his purchase. And not only was uh, a uh, Potiphar really pleased with his purchase, but you know what? So was his wife. Oh my goodness, she thought that Joseph was something special. She sure did. And she wanted his sexy self all to herself. That's what she wanted. And so in verse, uh, verse 7 of that chapter, it says this, And after a time, his wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Lie with me. And after multiple sexual advantages, uh, advances uh, from the missus, man, Joseph had just had enough. He says in verse 9, man, hands off. I can't do it. Hands off. No one is greater in this house than I am, he says. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife, how then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Unfortunately, right, his noble and stern talk did not slow her down one minute. Man, the missus didn't really care because in that ancient world, man, having sex with your slave was pretty normal. And so yet uh, Joseph's moral integrity and commitment to God really kept him from giving in. It didn't stop her. It just made her more mad and upset that he was not going to sleep with her. And so she complained to Potiphar and told him that 
Joseph was the one who was having the sexual advance, advances towards her, which then landed Joseph in prison. So now at the end of chapter 39 and throughout chapter 40, we find Joseph in an Egyptian prison. And it's where we expect to find, you know, some phrases that are similar to the, the laments that we would find in the book of Psalms. But instead, uh, we find him saying in verse 21 here, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Amazing, total shift that happened. Well, maybe you've already noticed if you've been kind of skimming through chapter 39, if you know this story quite well, maybe you've noticed when Joseph is going through his toughest time, being enslaved, being tempted, now being put in prison, during his toughest time out of all the other 12 chapters, God is most present in this chapter. Eight times God is mentioned here. God's mentioned in a way that he is with Joseph, he is blessing Joseph, and he's blessing him with what he does. Eight times, more so than any other part in this story. And I think that's a great reminder for you and I to never forget that when we are in our tough points of life, those painful points of life, that God is with us. He does not leave us. He's always there cheering us on, blessing us, encouraging us, and giving us that steadfast, faithful love during that time. That he will cover us with his love and peace, just like he does Joseph which seems to cause Joseph's heart to move away from the anger and bitterness and move towards love and kindness and becoming a servant-style leader. So moving on, right? As Joseph is that high-ranking servant who has brought all of those skills, those gifts, those talents, now he's bringing them all to prison. And at some point, you know, you know that word got out that uh, to those prison keepers, and they noticed his godly servant-like attitude and abilities, and then they decided to put him in charge of overseeing and organizing all the details of the entire prison. And so it says that at the end of chapter 39, verse 23, says the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because they trusted him so much. Now at some point, right, Joseph was making the rounds, or maybe he was playing chess with a couple of these inmates, and they start telling him about some of the dreams they've been having that they are unable to interpret. And thankfully, Joseph had matured from his last dream interpretation experience there with his brothers, and then uh, he begins to point them towards God's power instead of trying to become the man of power like he did when he was younger. And he says to them in, in uh, chapter 40, uh, verse 8, he said, oh, We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? And so please tell them to me. So then he does. 
You know, he then proceeds to serve God in that moment and these men by listening to them both and interpreting their dreams. His interpretations reveal that the baker, unfortunately, he dies a gruesome death while the chief cupbearer is returned to fulfill his duties at the Pharaoh's table. And then, just like Joseph said in the interpretation, it all comes true within three days. So meanwhile, as the cupbearer is living large at the palace, Joseph remains in prison for another two years. Two long, long years of being a faithful follower of God while serving and leading others in prison and waiting and hoping for his life to change. And thankfully, change it did, right? Chapter 41, his prison mate, that cupbearer, he finally remembers him. And Joseph is called to the palace to unlock the unsolved mystery of Pharaoh's dreams. And what I love about this initial interaction is that Joseph has a calm confidence and trust in God. Despite all the unfair circumstances that he had to endure, his heart is still soft and dependent on God. And he is willing to care and serve those whom God brings before him instead of just dropping a big old poop emoji attitude all over them, right? He doesn't do that because of his suffering. He chooses to serve instead. And when Pharaoh asks him if he can interpret the dreams, when he does that in verse 15, Joseph responds like a tender-hearted servant of God. And he says this in verse 16. Joseph answers Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And a favorable answer he sure does. You know, not only does Joseph interpret the dreams, but he unpacks a detailed strategy because of all that he had learned during his time leading Potiphar's farm and overseeing the prison combined with all the wisdom that God had given, given him during that time. He tells Pharaoh how to prepare for the next 14 years, seven years of abundance, and then another seven years of famine. And then surprisingly, with no judgment or mention of his prison past, Pharaoh is so impressed with him, he says this in verse 39. Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne, I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to, to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Wow, man, in a blink. In a blink, Joseph is lifted out of this pit and into a palace and those three deep pains of his life, they kind of collide with a new purpose. This family rejection, this working his way to this high-ranking slave, this ability to prove himself in prison, all led him to being chosen and treated like a lost son who's been given a new robe a family ring of authority, and now put in charge so that he could save a nation. 
man, I, I wonder if he was just speechless at that time, right? Totally speechless. I wonder if there's flashbacks just kind of popping through his head where he sees God in the midst of those three painful memories and seasons of his life. Seeing God using, you know, pain as a process to prepare him for this very moment as he stands humbly before Pharaoh and before God. I wonder. And I, I wonder about you, actually. I wonder if there are deep pains that have been preparing you for a new purpose. And I wonder how have you trusted God and experienced his steadfast love in your times of pain? I wonder. You know, when my brother was in his uh, late 20s, uh, he was managing a band called Captain Tractor. You can, you know, Spotify it if, if you like. And after a year of really kind of struggling with lots of the challenges that come along with that, I was talking to him and just encouraging him and telling him that, that he said, buddy, you know what, you never know how God is going to use what you have learned here for your future. You just never know. But you got to trust him. You got to trust God with that and just keep looking for something better because he's going to provide it. And so after he finishes up with, uh, with the band and he had finished his communications degree, he had had some jobs within that field, uh, he moved to Victoria in the, in the process, and uh, he got, landed an interview with the BC government for an interim position there. And so as he's in the interview, you know, they're talking about his qualifications, what kind of went over well, and he, he mentioned it, he kind of, kind of skimmed over them quite quickly and uh, talked about some other things and then got to more questions concerning Captain Tractor because it was the interviewer's favorite band, his favorite band. Oh my goodness. And so they talked a lot about that. They had a great time. And that was a huge help in just helping him uh, get comfortable and land that first job, which then, man, he had to work hard, which he did. He had to prove himself, which he did. After that, he landed another job within the government and then another job. And then he was overseeing and working with about eight MLAs. And then he's writing speeches for those that are in parliament and, and watching that all thing go on. And then he bounced into different areas within the BC government. And right now he oversees and leads a team on the communications team for the whole city of Victoria. Woo! Wow, eh? Man, that's a little pit to palace kind of story uh, for him. And many of us have those kinds of stories, different pit to palace type stories, our struggles that we have, that one section of our life after another uh, ends up happening, that God is in preparing us and being with us in all of that so that at some point in time, we will have a bigger impact for him. We will have a bigger impact for him. But God always seems to shape us through the struggles of our life. He does. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. You know, God placed him really at a national level uh, to save the lives of a nation as well as God's people who were soon to be known as the Israelites. Now we're into chapter 42. The famine had kicked in along with the next phase of Joseph's plan. 
And that famine did not only impact uh, Egypt, but the surrounding neighbors uh, like Cana, which is why we spot Joseph's brothers bowing down before him, asking for food. A little deja vu dream moment, I think, for Joseph, which luckily no one else noticed, right, from when he was about 17. Because now Joseph is around 39 or 40, and he's unrecognizable as a clean-shaven, right, Egyptian ruler versus his little hairy Hebrew sheep herder type brothers. That's not going on. So his interaction with the brothers take us all the way to chapter 45 all the way to chapter 45, where Joseph just can't wait to tell his brothers who he is. He's emotionally kind of falling apart at this, at this time, and he has to tell them who he is. So he huddles them up, and verse 3, he just kind of yells. He's so excited. He says, I am Joseph, and is my father alive? And his brothers oh, are dumbfounded, jaw-dropping kind of moment, because they haven't seen him for like 20 years. They can't even speak, right? And I bet they're flooded with fear and anxiety and, and guilt and wondering what kind of punishment is about to rain down upon us from this guy for the sin that we did to him. But instead, Joseph just starts to repeat himself and he adds in some love and some grace by saying this in verses four and five. Hey, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And then he says it a second time and he adds in some more things in verse seven. He says, and God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And then he says it a third time and reassures his brothers in verse 8 by saying this. In verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So three times he tells them that God has been in charge of his life and it's not their fault. In Joseph's ancient man speak, he's really saying, I forgive you. I forgive you, brothers. Which is why I believe when we get to chapter 50, Joseph starts to cry years later when his brothers finally ask him to be forgiven when their father dies. He realizes they have been carrying their sin and evil deeds, causing fear and guilt for far too long when they finally confess in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 50 when they say, our father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. You see, the brothers carried their sin for years, even though Je uh, Jesus, even though Joseph had forgiven them. And he was the one who years, maybe even decades prior, had been the one who had named that evil deed and that sin and that transgression before him and before God. 
He's the one who also initiated forgiveness, regardless of their lack of confession at that time. You see, the brothers, they still carried their transgression because it was attached to their rebellious act. Their breach of trust and sin against God and Joseph was just never confessed. They carried their sin because they hadn't acknowledged their disobedience and rebellious act towards God and Joseph. And what's amazing to me is the posture of Joseph's heart more than 20 years later. He chooses not to judge, but to forgive and to reassure his brothers three more times. In doing so, he reflects God's love, his grace and kindness, as he says in verses 19 to 21. Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. That's number one. He surrenders his right and and to get even, he surrenders his right to get even and gives it to God because he is not the judge. God is. Number two, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So bring it about that many people should be kept alive, and they are today. Two, he extends grace and forgives them of their sin because it was God's plan to save them and to bless the nation. And three, verse 21, and so do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, he diffuses their fear and rejection and builds them up by providing for their families. That's number three. See, Joseph's story, it helps me see Jesus when we uh, look at that story that Jesus tells about the lost son in Luke chapter 15. It's about a Hebrew father welcoming back his son. A story depicting God's love for each one of us. And I love how Jesus explains the story in which a way that is demonstrating that there's no wall of judgment on his son's sin because the consequences of his sin, they'd already happened. And Jesus uses this parable to tell us about God's love, his kindness, his forgiveness, and what is expressed that we get to see that as is his father running to his son, embracing him and welcoming him back into the family. See, I love how verse 20 really shows that, depicts that because his son had been rehearsing that confession. And then when he heads home, he's totally clueless of how his dad's gonna uh, respond to him. And he says in verse 20, chapter uh, 15, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see, Jesus' story reveals the heart of God, helping us see God and to see Jesus really forgive us, to love us and to wait for us to come to him so that we can unload our sin our transgression and our dark deeds so that we can be forgiven and brought back into the family. Then the son in this scene, just like Joseph's brothers back in chapter 50, they start to degrade themselves. They start to try and lower their status as brothers or as sons and put themselves as slaves because of the weight of sin and guilt that's on them. But Jesus, just like Joseph, they will have none of that. And they start to lift them back up. And Jesus says this in verse 22 in the story of the lost son. 
He says, but the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then they began to celebrate. See, God the Father, he reclaims him as his true son, restores him with a new coat, right? A ring and shoes on his feet to identify him as being back in the family, which is similar to the experience that we just read about with Joseph as he moved from the pit to the palace or a similar experience that Joseph demonstrates towards his brothers. See, these passages, they really reveal how God and Jesus end up treating us when we sin against him. We are no different than Joseph's brothers. We're no different than the lost son. God is longing for you and I. He's watching for us. He's waiting for us. He wants to embrace us and love us and hear us and forgive us when we come to him and confess our sin to him and our dark deeds. And so I hope that you can see yourself as a person in need of forgiveness like Joseph's brothers and the lost son. And I hope you recognize that you can come to God, our Father, and confess your sin and your transgressions or dark deeds, knowing that you will be receiving just more love, kindness, and care, and forgiveness as you're embraced back into the family. So, man, I'm just encouraging you to don't hold off. Don't wait to confess. Just come to the Father and do it. Just do it. Just confess and be forgiven and restored to Him. And I just thought, since it's communion uh, this weekend, to help with the confessing, the forgiving, the receiving process, communion is very fitting. Knowing that uh, the bread, right, it just reminds us not only of suffering, but that he is the one who is our brokenness, that he is with us in our brokenness. And the juice is the symbol of Christ's blood. And may it remind us that our sins are forgiven in all of that. And so as we receive the bread, let us remember Jesus' brokenness for us and take a moment to confess our sin to him. So let's do that together. Let's take the bread and confess our sin to him. Thank you, Jesus. And now the cup, a reminder of Jesus' forgiveness of our sin. Let's receive it with love and thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, once again. And so friends, that's how I've come to see Jesus and the heart of God in this Old Testament passage. We have a God who is always present, loving us, reshaping us, and blessing us through the painful seasons of life. And we have a God that we can come to, knowing he will embrace us, listen to our sin and pain, and forgive us because of Jesus. 
And now, my friends, as we end our time together today, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope and abound in the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.